am thrilled to be joined today by Tracy Martin, president of the Canadian Country Music Association. First off, Tracy, congratulations on innovating your way to an award show in the middle of the pandemic. Tell us a little bit about how that process went on your end. Oh, we're, st we're just finally catching up on sleep. <laughs> you know, it's been <laughs> three weeks since the show aired and I, I, my team, you know, when we have our team meetings now on Zoom every morning, I can see that everyone's finally rested. You know, it, it's such a beast to, to, to tackle as, you know, everybody under knows going through something similar that we've gone through. Um, I think on coming out the other side of it, we feel, first of all, very fortunate that we have a genre where everybody is legitimately family, you know, like every, and you included Jim, you know this, it's like everybody linked arms, everyone understood the pivot when we finally got there um, and essentially just linked arms and did this all together. It was, it was a huge, huge, like family row basically. And um, we couldn't have done it. We're, we're so fortunate in our genre um, that everybody is so tight and so close. Um, I don't think other genres experience what we experience. And um, if there was ever a moment in all of my years um, working in this genre that I had ever doubted it this year was like, you know, we are so fortunate. So we're happy to be on the other side of it, but we definitely had some huge lessons learned, let me tell you about. Well, and, and the, the television component is so imperative to the industry because it's really all we've got. You know, we don't have a Good Morning America. We don't have a Jimmy Kimmel. We don't have those platforms in Canada. So um, in order to elevate and celebrate the artists, which is part of the mandate of the CCMA, it's, it's imperative that we have an opportunity to put those artists on television. So good on you for innovating through it. Uh, there must have been a time, though, early on where you were like, I guess we're not going to have a TV show this year. Or did that ever cross your mind at some point? Yeah. So I'm going to just take you back to the beginning of all of this. And I'm going to take you back even further. So um, I came into the CCMA's, uh, I guess this was my fourth award show. The first award show I came in, the, pretty much everything was baked. I came in in July. And, you know, as you know, Country Music Week and the award show happens in September. And so over the last three years, we have made some substantial pivots, not just to um, the award show itself, we've done a lot to the award show, but also just to the association. You know, we really, we realized very quickly that, you know, us being an, an, an organization that really just focuses on one weekend a year was not, no longer enough. So we started to, you know, um, build programs throughout the year. We, we, and we did a lot of that work in the first couple of years um, uh, with the team when I came in. This year was really meant for us to be like, okay, we've made some substantial changes. We like where we're at. We know what's not working now that we've, you know, sort of um, pulled the curtain back on everything and sort of innovated everything differently. This year, we just want to perfect what we've changed over the last couple of years. If this wasn't going to be a big year of change. We're going back to Hamilton. Hamilton is a great city to host the CCMAs. Um, the fans there are amazing. We know that we're going to get attendance. So it was like, let's tweak this year. They, they were, uh, we were in Hamilton two years ago and they were sort of at the beginning of us making all of these changes. So we knew we were going into a city 
and the support system there um, sort of embraced our changes. So we knew that this was the, the this was the great city for us to just start tweaking. Right, and I want to talk a little bit about the selection process of these cities, but <clears throat> going yeah. back a little bit to some of some of the uh, very successful programs that you've instituted uh, during your tenure there. You've created a lifestyle brand. You've created partnerships with the the big country music festivals with Spotify. Um, the live country brand concept is something that probably was born out of your extensive marketing background in a way to integrate the CCMA to be top of mind throughout uh, not just the industry, but the fans themselves on a year round basis. And um, so tell us a little bit about that process and why it, it felt so important to you to have people think about the CCMAs more than just one weekend per year. Yeah. Well, you know, what, excuse me, what I, you know, what I know from years of being attached to the genre in whatever sort of role I was in is that if we just look at country music festivals as an example, when you go to a country music festival, um, as soon as you are there, you are immersed in an experience that is like no other genre. There are like legitimately you could you have people there fans there that might be a paralegal downtown toronto who wears a suit to work every single day they completely change their outfits they they embrace a lifestyle that they normally don't have um in their regular day-to-day -day life and we knew that we wanted to tap into those people because you know backing all of this up the mandate for the ccmas is to elevate this genre and the artists within it and the only way for you know we are a membership-based association and that is so important for so many reasons the awards and all of those things but in order for us to grow the association the only way for us to do that is to make sure that we are communicating with the fans and every element of what we do for the most part needs to needs to um, take that into consideration because we need the fans in order to grow the genre. <clears throat> Excuse me. And again, we also know that we have a very, we have a 18 to 25 year old, slightly female skewing fan that is rabid about country music. So let's start to talk to them. And where are they? And that's a, that's a different audience than we necessarily tap into on the award show. The award show is a big fat number and it's about reaching as many people as possible. We don't, it doesn't necessarily matter how old those people are. We just want to use the broadcast as a way to elevate the artist as another like tool to snap into this. But in order for us to continue to drive this genre forward, our real audience is those 18, like I said, 18 to 25 year old um, fans that are going in droves to country music festivals. So, right, and they're going to be fans for the next 20, 30 years potentially exactly. as well, right? So it's a long term plan along with a, a short term approach. Absolutely. So we started to look at what are the things that, what are the levers that we can pull that we haven't traditionally done um, that will have us in constant communication with the fans. It's, it's difficult when you are the Canadian Country Music Association, outside of our big, shiny floor, amazing broadcast, we knew that we needed another lever to pull that wasn't, I mean, the, listen, I'm so proud of all of the work that we've done, but the Canadian Country Music Association 
is not sexy. It's not a sexy name. It's a not-for-profit. It's not things that are necessarily going to resonate with our audience. So that's how Live Country was born. We wanted to have a sub-brand that allowed us to talk to the fans in their language versus saying, you know, we're the Canadian Country Music Association. Please wear, you know, merch that supports it. That's legitimately how it was born. And it was, it started with um, a very simple, it, it happened my first year when I came in in July and the award show was happening in September and um, merch was put in front of me specific for that city. And I, before I could even let my brain say the, the, the politically correct words, I was like, no, no, we can't, this is not, what, what are we doing? This, this merch is so wrong for who the audience is. And I made the decision to have no merch that year. I was just like, I would rather have nothing um, than us having the right thing that we're putting forward. And we took that year to really establish what a merch brand would look like. And as we started those conversations with really amazing people, we realized that it had legs. It had legs to sort of pivot into partnerships. It had legs to pivot into events. It had, it really was, we, we have the ability to make a lifestyle brand that is something that could resonate with the fans versus just the Canadian Country Music Association. So that's how that was born. And of course, as you mentioned, you know, we've, it's been, a, it's been slow, but it's been, we, we feel like we're making the right steps with it. You know, Live Country now, of course, has um, a, its own um, partner or its own, um, sorry, playlist with Spotify. That's a big partnership. We're starting to do exclusive um, uh, Live Country merch um, with, with different artists so that when they're going on tour, um, their merch pieces become available, first of all, exclusively to the Spotify followers. Like we're starting to do some really cool things with them, which we're really happy about. It takes time. Um, and we're a very small but mighty team, but we're really, really excited about that brand and where it can go. And it just lives beside this, the CCMA um, uh, brand, essentially. And it's really perpetuated the interest of Spotify to uh, take some ownership of growing Canadian careers globally and internationally. And and that is massive and a huge boon for the industry, speaking from you know someone who manages and works with artists who have benefited from that. So tell us a little bit about that process with Spotify and how that's almost gained a life of its own uh, yeah. in terms of, of exposing Canadian country music globally. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting because Spotify Canada, um, when we started talking to them, I, they loved the, they loved, um, they were very supportive and loved the Live Country um, brand right out of the gate. And so Nate at Spotify, um, he and I started to have conversations about what does this look like in a, from a partnership perspective? And for them, it's difficult because they're a very large organization, obviously a global company. And there are playlists that, you know, um, are huge in Canada that, you know, are programmed out of the U.S. and all of those things. So what we what was a mandate for us, obviously, is for us to elevate the Canadians within the genre. And so they had a playlist that they had started a long time ago, and it had started to gain um, some traction. I think at that point, it had maybe 35,000 followers. And so the decision was made through a whole bunch of legal conversations that they were going to rebrand that playlist to Live Country. 
Um, so that was our first foray. It took us a long time to get that off the ground. It took us about a year and change to do, to make that so. And now I think the playlist, I have to, I have to look, uh, don't quote me, but I think we're close to maybe 55,000 people um, following the playlist. Um, that was our first step. The second step, again, was for us to start to partner with specific artists on merch because we wanted to bring in the Live Country merch side of it as well. And, and then the third step for us, for us, which, you know, pandemic, um, but will be happening, is us to start to curate events together. And whether, the, whether those look like, you know, album launch parties, where, whether it looks like a, um, a listening session. Um, we, there, there's many things that we, and big plans that we have for that brand for us to start to communicate again with fans, um, but be able to snap in. We know that the core of it is music, but there's all of these lifestyle sort of elements around it that we're hoping to um, build this brand out into something that, you know, like I said, it can be, uh, have a life of its own. Yeah, much more of a 360 degree approach. Yeah. Yes. Um, Back to selecting the host cities. Uh, one of the reasons I started this podcast is because I feel like in the music business, there's there's a lot of information available, but there's also um, a real cryptic feel to this industry. And people often have questions and those questions uh, sometimes end up in a void or a vacuum and, yeah. and people make assumptions. And and so the advantage that, that Nashville has is it's like the Mecca. It's the epicenter of country music in the United States, which is the birth rate place of country music. In Canada, you have this added challenge of consistently moving the show around geographically while keeping the entire country engaged. Tell us a little bit about the process that the association and the board goes through in selecting host cities for the event. And how far out does that process stretch? Yeah. Um it it's it it is a very very difficult process it's difficult for a whole bunch of reasons so just to peel it back we are what you would call a carousel event meaning that we move just like juno's just like uh you know gray cup um world juniors uh the briar the olympics from the olympics we yeah. move from city to city each year the, the the process to get us to those cities is a bid process. So we um, essentially send out a bid document to all of the um, tourism boards across the country in whichever year we're looking at. So for an example, right now, we're, we're down the road to 2024. To 2024, we, we think we know what our situation is, but we're looking at 2025. As we go through the process, we give them a document that basically explains to them everything that we are bringing into the city for that weekend and our commitment to that city. And, and there's a price tag attached to that for us to come in. So they bid on us for us to come into the city. One of the challenges that we were experiencing was that we weren't getting cities bidding on us. Um, we, we were essentially a convention, which brings in the industry, which is great. And it drives economic impact for these cities, but we have outside of the award show, which doesn't necessarily bring humans into the town to spend the weekend, stay in hotels, you know, spend money on, you know, food and, and experience the city. It's more of a, you go to the award show that night and go home. We recognized in order for us to become a bigger value for, for cities and for us to increase our bid fee was for us to start to build out things that would allow the uh, fans to come in and stay there for the weekend. 
right? You have to build a case for economic impact. Yes. Right? That's really yes. what you need to do. It's like, hey, All it is. this event is costing this much, but here's yeah. the ancillary benefit to your city. And, yeah. that, and then there's obviously some standards um, in the bid document too. I mean, you would need a certain amount of convention space, hotel rooms. Uh, uh, yes. You need an airport that's relatively easy to get to, right? All of that. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So we, in my first year here, um, we did a massive deep dive into every carousel event that happens in Canada. We looked at what their economic impact was, what it costs for them to come into that city, and then lined that up against what the cities were paying to bring those events in. <clears throat> and as we looked at that, we realized a couple of things. We realized we're not bringing enough to the cities and we need to, we need to build out the business case for why we are coming and why you want us to come in exchange for um, us being able to get a, a, a larger bid fee because we are a not-for-profit. It costs a lot of money for us to move this, this event in and out of into different cities every single year. But the, cha the challenge was twofold. One was we don't have enough to drive the economic impact that we need to in order for us to increase the bid fee. But in order for us to do that, we need to spend more money doing more events that are going to actually bring the economic impact. And the way that we sort of unraveled that was we realized that we needed a better partnership strategy. If we're going to build these events that we believe are actually going to drive economic impact, I need a partnership strategy that will actually help us pay for those things. And that we can, you know, align with brands that have similar values and, and, um, and we can build events that make sense for them, us, and also it will help with the economic impact. And national brands that are interested in carousel events moving around the country rather than, than regional brands. Yes. And also, yes, that, the, yes, that, I mean, that was, that's the biggest challenge. It's one thing when it's local, it's another thing when we're going national. And the other part of our strategy was to help bring brands in that we could also, as I was saying to you, realizing that we can't be an event that happens on one weekend of the year. We need to build up the 365 for the CCMAs. We needed brands that wanted to partner with us on different events and tent poles throughout the year, but obviously all of it, you know, sort of um, culminates at Country Music Week with the final crown jewel, which is either they've also included in the award show. We built Fan Village, which we'll talk about, um, was one of the one of the um, events that we built in order to drive more economic impact for those weekends and for the cities. Bring them into Fan Village, help them execute um, on the ground. Um, so all of these parts and pieces, as we laid it out, we realized we had so much work to do in order for us to get there. So first year we did the work, we, we launched Fan Village, Fan Village cost us a lot of money, but we knew that we had to build it, like build it and they will come. We had to build it. We had to bring brands over to it. We had to show them what we were doing. And then the sponsorship dollars started to come in in the subsequent year, which is exactly what we had planned to do. And, and it worked. And we we're so grateful for that. Alongside of that, we pivoted our bid document to include more consumer-facing events, including this festival that you know runs all weekend there in whatever city we're in now, and increased our bid fee because we knew what we were driving in economic. I mean, frankly, we were driving economic impact that uh, that was greater than what we were receiving in bid fee anyway. But adding these events to that weekend helped us drive that drive that. Um, bid fee up now it's a sweet spot you know and especially now that we're into COVID it's like we needed to make sure that what we were asking for 
um, wasn't so beyond what cities were capable of getting because of course they have to raise the funds to bring us in, but also for us to be able to pay the bills when we come in. You know, Again, we're not for profit, we're not in this to make a bunch of money, but we also need to find a way for us to get some money in the bank for a rainy day because the biggest challenge back to your original question about bid cities is we make these decisions years in advance. Now we're making the decisions years in advance. You know, My team is talking about 2025 right now. Well, and the reality is, like we said before, there's only so many cities in Canada that even meet the qualifying criteria. So it's yeah. not like you've got this deep list where you can get really innovative and, you know, <clears throat> take it to uh, a secondary or tertiary market. It just it just isn't going to work. They're not going to have the hotel rooms, the convention space or the airport access. And the cost, you know, the second right. that we move this this event out of frankly, Toronto and the surrounding areas, it becomes extremely costly because live TV, our team for live TV is in Toronto. That's the hub. So we are now paying for a, you know, 150 person crew to be flying, to be eating, to be staying in hotels. It just, the, the, the numbers need to make sense. Um, the chat and they and they can make sense, but the the biggest challenge is, is the, the decision that we are making today, Jim, on a city that we are going to agree to do in 2023, 24, 25. We have to base that decision on that city's economic impact or on that city's economic health right now. Well, right. as you know, in two years, things that change. can change substantially. And it's interesting because when I first started, I was like, well, we just need to make better decisions. But what I've realized is that it actually just is the risk with the CCMAs. It is the risk with this business model. Until we completely change the business model, we have to understand that there could be challenges three years from now if we're going into Penticton. There could, like, they could be amazing right now, but two years from now, there could be some serious challenges. We need, as an association, if we want to have Country Music Week, if we want to have the award show, which we all really know that these are sort of the crown jewels of what we do, that we are just going to have to be smarter with our money and get some more money in the bank that actually offsets the years that we might run into trouble. That is just now part of our business plan. Because and it, some of that is is interfacing with other carousel events because uh, I remember in 2009, full disclosure, I was on the board at that time. Uh, we chose to go to Vancouver, but that year Vancouver also hosted the uh, Junos. And 2010, of course, they hosted the Winter Olympics. So all the sponsorship dollars were tapped uh, for events of that magnitude and nature in that city. So it, it wasn't that Vancouver was a bad choice in terms of hosting. Um, we certainly got the support from the fans, but the sponsorship dollars just weren't there to play with yeah. because they were committed to other events. Yeah. And, and it, it, we really, so again, one of the sort of the pivots that we made in the last couple of years is we had internal staff who were selling sponsorship for us. And that was great for what we needed to get done up until the point. But with these big swinging changes we were about to make, we needed sponsorship to be very different. And it's very difficult for a not-for-profit to employ someone at the range that we can employ somebody 
for them and, and expect that they are gonna have relationships with all of the agencies and be able to walk in the door and be able to pitch a product to them that is gonna start to bring in real dollars, which is what we needed. So we made um, a big change in our sponsorship team. And what we did was we hired a team that all they do is sell music properties. And we, we struck a deal with them. It's actually the, uh, the sales division at, at Feldman. And I mean, our sponsorship has gone up. Gosh, it's gotta be this year, maybe 200% from where we were. Like they, they just, it's, it, bringing them in was the best thing that we could have ever done. It's caused a few challenges when we go into cities for local sponsorship, because if we're selling, you know, if Ford's one of our brands in a particular year and they have a local, you know, Nissan dealership that really wants to spend money against the CCMAs executing on the ground, it becomes a bit of a challenge. Um, so, but, but I've just basically learned to be like, don't worry about the pennies, focus on the dollars. And so we, we, you know, every year is a different challenge with whatever, you know, city we're going into and the needs of what we need to get done for them as a local, you know, um, as a local event, but it's all of these big pieces are the things that we had to snap into place for us to have, you know, a uh, real change. And of course that real change takes three, three, four years. I mean, it was in our three year plan um, of where, where we were walking into right now into 2021 or 2020 pre COVID we were there. And now this was the year that we are going to just focus on the tweaks figure out what we're doing well, what needs to be skimmed back and, and really just hone in on all of these big changes. Right. So you were, you were, March. you were in a position where you were refining and, yes. uh, and, and now you're doing a little bit more innovating and, and reinventing. Uh, talk a little bit too about the, the value proposition to the membership, because you've done a great job at offering more value to the host cities, but you've also done a great job at enhancing the experience for people who attend as members. Yeah. So a big priority for us, what we realized, you know, the, again, Crown Jewel is the award show. We weren't, we didn't have enough opportunities for artists to showcase themselves during Country Music Week. So this is how Fan Village, this is one of the parts and pieces of why Fan Village was born amongst the things that I've already spoken about. So we now have an event that uh, runs from Friday until right up until the award show. We sort of uh, take over a, a part of the city. We run a three-day festival that includes everything from showcases to songwriter events to, um, you know, mental health is a big piece of everything that the CCMA does. And so we do a lot of mental health fans and artists together, you know, doing exercises, which I know seems a little bit like, how is that music? But for us, the relationship between the fans and the artists is so, um, they're, they're so connected and mental health is such a big part of what we do. And we know it's such a huge priority for the artists that bringing the fans into that experience has been amazing. It also taps into our lifestyle bucket that we are so trying to um, push forward. 
Um, we do um, label showcases there. We have um, a countdown concert that leads into Country Music Week. All that to be said, it opened up so many more performance slots within Country Music Week to give artists the opportunity to perform. We, you know, it's the award show. We have done our best to extend um, how many performance slots we have on the award show. When, when, um, when I first came in, we were hovering around 12. This year we had 19. So we're doing our best to, to give uh, all the, the artists that, that are ready for it the opportunity to have the national stage by growing those slots on the award show um but we re recognize that's i mean that's 19 artists out of i mean how many artists do we have um you know within the genre so that's been one piece of it the other piece that we've really tried to focus on and i don't think that we're quite there yet i think we still have some learnings to do and we also have some educating to do is that we are a national association so what we're trying to do is work with our local associations, our provincial associations, for them to be sort of the incubation for those, for those um, sort of up and coming acts to get help get them to a certain level so that then they're ready to enter, you know, our top of the country program or some of our songwriter series. So that once they get to the national association, we can, we've got spots for them. Um, so we're trying to do some work with our provincial associations to really hone in on who are, who are, who's the cream of the crop coming up? What can we do to help them? And how do we get those artists, the entry point for artists in our um, association as far as opportunities for showcasing and all that really starts when you can get yourself to Country Music Week and you have um, had some success and you're at a level where you can enter into the top of the country and you make it into the top five. Um, that's sort of our entry point. Um, it, it was also, it's, it's, in, it's an interesting conversation and sorry, I'm gonna spin over to this, but we used to run a program called the Discovery Program. And what the CCMA realized was that the Discovery Program was amazing. And, you know, just for anyone listening that doesn't know what this is, it's it's sort of the uh, a program that once you get into it, you get to meet with um, industry executives, you get to meet with artists, you do songwriting um, sort of uh, day sessions with um, other songwriters, you, you get performance coaching. There's a whole bunch of things that come with it. And then once you get to Country Music Week, you perform for the industry. What we were realizing with Discovery was that whoever came out of discovery at the top, they weren't necessarily getting signed, they weren't necessarily getting record deals right away or management companies or record deals. And there was this gap, eventually they would get there, but there was this three year gap where we didn't have the ability to help them in there, there was no way for, uh, for the CCMA, there wasn't more programs that the CCMA could give them. So they were sort of left to their own devices until they finally got signed and they got all of the things that they needed to get. Right. It was kind of like, here's your prize. Congratulations. Now, good luck. Yeah. Like, like sorry. Hopefully we, this generate some interest from agencies, management companies, and labels. Yeah. So we, so in the perfect world, what we wanted we, it was we wanted that piece of that, that work that was being done there to be done more at the provincial association level. And we, we moved our program into the top of the country program, which sort of snugged that up closer to within the year or two, the artists that come out of the top of the country might be actually nominated for Rising Star. We needed to condense that. 
the association definitely has work to do on helping the artists that are, you know, pre that level. Um, and I think that's some of the work that we're going to be doing in the next year or so. But we really need the help of our provincial associations to get that work done to sort of identify who those artists are that are coming up through the ranks that, you know, they're, they're getting, you know, they're, they're hearing about and there's some heat on so that we can sort of formulate the right programs for these artists to help them get from that phase into the top of the country phase. Um, yeah, so I, I'm not, I, I'm sorry, I kind of went round and round in a circle there, but just, to, I just wanted to clarify the difference between those two. Right, right. And, and so far, so good. I mean, the people who have graduated from that program recently have had some success on a, on a national level, at least. And, and, uh, and so it seems to be serving its purpose. Now, let's bounce yeah. back to the television property, because there's a lot of complexity around designing a show that's going to be compelling for viewers, um, reflect somewhat of the, uh, the, the societal changes that are happening, right? And, and some of those mandates. So, you know, gender parity, um, uh, all of those things that are important, right? Yeah. And yeah. yet still celebrating excellence in the best of the format. So how do you balance all of those things? I mean, I know and listen, I've been, I've been on the TV talent committee. I know you're not going to make everybody happy all the time, but how do you balance all of those mandates? What's the process so that, so that artists who are listening to this really understand that there is a method to the madness? Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it is a massive balancing act because the other part, you, you mentioned so many elements, the other elements that have to be taken into consideration is the broadcaster. And their goal is to, even though they know our mandate and, it, and, and they're supportive of our mandate and it's the reason that we are our partners with them, they need to drive tune in. They need right. to make sure that what we are marketing and, and the, the artists that we are using to market this show are artists that will bring an audience in. People know who they are. People are fans of them already, and it's going to help drive those people to watch the show wherever they're experiencing the show. Right. So, so it, the CCMA can have any mandate it wants, but at the end of the day, if it's not driving ratings, we're going to lose a broadcast partner. That's 100%. just the that's just the reality of it. So, that it is must be reality. compelling television that has to be paramount. Yes. Um. So. So. And, and, and just one more layer to that is also the brands that we bring in to the broadcast. So TD, Ford, um, you know, SiriusXM, MMP, these big partners that we bring in, they also buy media within the broadcast. So it's a double whammy because there are partners on all of the things that we do, but also we have to drive tune in for the media that they have purchased in that show. It needs to hit a certain number or we haven't delivered. So it, it's a it's a very very delicate balance with it's going to make those renewal conversations a lot harder exactly yeah. exactly so the, the in a normal year our process is this you know pivoting back to the, the conversation the beginning of this conversation where you know we really are focused on a uh, fan we we wanted to we want to make sure that we are servicing the fans because those are in order for us to grow the association, elevate the artists within it, all of those things, we need the fans to help us do that, obviously. So what we did was we looked at the, the, the process for getting on the award show. There's a whole bunch of, you know, 
bits and baubles, which I won't get into, but we really look at how the, what artists have, what the artist performance with sales, streams, spins, um, uh, you know, their, their, their socials, um, what kind of touring they've done that year, the talent committee, and it is a committee of humans that basically all weigh in on um, those performance slots and who should get those performance slots. They really look at all of that data. And it's a very delicate balance of let's celebrate those that have had the biggest years. Let's look through the nominees. And let's also look at who's starting to, to make waves over here so that we can, you know, fill the bottom of the theater so that we're starting to expose artists that we believe and, you know, data tells us that they're about to pop so that we keep that flow going. And you can Those introduce them because they may be part of the television property for the next five to 10 years, right? But Absolutely. you got to get, get them started at some point. You have to nurture that process. Yeah, and we want them first. We, you know, if they are an on-the-nose country artist, we want to make sure that their sort of jumping off point was with the association. So we don't want to, you know, we don't want to miss the boat and have them go to another broadcast or another award show. We want to make sure that we are, you know, we are starting the relationship with this artist and the fans and that we can be attached to that so that we can keep in that conversation and continue to, you know, push everything forward. So that's sort of the talent, like, you know, one of the layers of how the talent is chosen for the show. Of course, the last couple of years, we have also been challenged with the number of females that we have in the genre that have gotten to a certain level that would hit into those statistics. So we have also made space for us to make sure that we are showcasing the female talent that is ready to be showcased on the award show and giving those slots to those females that, that we know um, are um, at the level that you know, they deserve a performance slot on the award show. That is, and that, you know, it's, it's interesting because this year it wasn't even a question, like it, everything's sort of aligned because all of the stats and data also showed that we now are in a position, I think that the world is evolving and changing and we are now in a position where, I mean, I think our show was, I want to say 60% female this year, which we've never had that. And it wasn't a, um, you know, it wasn't us going, we're going to ignore um, for a couple of slots, we're going to ignore what these, da these, these data points are telling us and we're just going to put females in. It was genuinely, these females deserve to be on the award show. I mean, Jim, you know this, you're part of the talent committee, so you understand this. It, it's been a very good year for us for females. Um, so that also plays into how um, the talent committee you know, sort of decides what our, our show is going to look like and also mandates from the broadcaster. They want to see female. This year, obviously for all of us, we really wanted to make sure that we're showcasing any BIPOC artists that we have within our genre. And there's a ton of work for us to do there. Um, but the, the position for the CCMAs this year was the work that we need to do to make, to first of all, discover why or if BIPOC artists feel like they don't have a seat at our table. We need to do that work and we need to do it now and we are doing it now. Um, but also that kind of work for us to recognize if, 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 if there's BIPOC artists that feel like they do not have a seat at our table, what is the work that we need to do to immediately change that? But also, what is the work that we need to do then to build programs to help develop them to get to the place where we actually 
um, have them in consideration for award show slots in our current sort of structure. But right, and those about, things sometimes take time. That's that's an evolution, right? When, yes. you're, when you're talking about building it from the ground up and engaging people early on, um, it might mean engaging them today or tomorrow and having them ready for the show in five or 10 years. You know, yeah. that, that that's the reality of that process. It, it does take time. It doesn't happen overnight. But what we realized, you know, collectively at the board level and obviously talent committee level is we need to make change now. We know that there are artists that are ready to perform on this award show, regardless of the circumstances of, you know, you know, sales spins, all of those things, set that stuff aside. We need to find a way to increase the number of performance slots on this award show to break the systemic piece of it if we are a part of it, which that's the work we're doing right now. So we also this year increased our award show slots to make sure that we included and showcase the BIPOC artists that we collectively, talent committee, board, agreed were ready to perform on the award show. So we were really happy that we had the ability to quickly pivot and do that. Um, and it, it was amazing. It was amazing. I mean, I can't tell you how many texts I got from people saying, wow, what a refreshing, what a refreshing change to the show. Um, Jojo Mason killed it on the show. He took that opportunity and he ran with it. He was just, it, 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 it was a very, I'm very proud of what we were, we managed to accomplish, um, this year on the show in, in that regard. And we have a ton of more work to do, Jim. I mean, as everybody does, but we really, um, we recognize it, we are embracing it and we are doing the work. So, so that's so, sort of, in a nutshell, that's how we normally choose our award show. There's obviously, as you say, um, things that, you know, we're learning as we go, but that's really how we build out the performance slots on the award show. And we also make a room for a couple of US acts and we do this for two reasons. Every, you know, and I get a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of pushback on this. Why would you have U.S. artists on the award show when, you know, we are a Canadian award show? And the truth is, a, a lot of the artists that we make decisions on to perform on the award show are huge supporters of Canadian talent. So, for an example, last year, Old Dominion. Old Dominion, we asked Old Dominion to perform on the award show because they were supporting our Canadian acts. When they come here for tours, they are putting Canadians on the front of those tours. So there is a relationship between Nashville and Canada in this community that is very, very, very real. So that's- It's mutually reciprocal. Yes, yes. So to me, it's a no brainer. A lot of, again, you know, I get a lot of flack for this, but I stand strong in it. The other piece is, it is a marketing mechanism for us to, showcase our Canadian talent. If you have Tim McGraw on our award show, it is going to drive more tune in. If he is promoting the fact that he is performing on the CCMAs and he has 2 million followers, he is telling people to watch this show, which then is showcasing Canadian talent. So having a, a marketing tool, which we could not pay for as a not-for-profit association, be able to help us do that is so beneficial to our Canadians. We're not giving away half of our show to US slots, but we definitely make you know, strategic decisions about driving tune in and, and also helping elevate our Canadian acts. And those two things go hand in hand when we're making those decisions about the US artists that we put on the award show. Yeah, I think, um, I think that's always a, a, been a bone of contention for people. And the other reality is that they, they do just help drive ratings. They help tune more people in so if someone's 
tuning in because they're a massive Tim McGraw fan and they happen to catch Jojo Mason, then it's a win-win situation. And, yeah. uh, and as an industry, we have to be a little less protective and a little more open to the idea of inviting people who are good stewards for country music onto our show. Uh, not looking at it as they're taking a slot away from a Canadian as much as they're making the slots of Canadian artists more enhanced by being a part of our television property. Yeah, That's the it, argument, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's in, in, listen, you know, it, the idea of, you know, back to this conversation about the community, because we are such family community, it really does transcend. And I mean, Jim, you know this better than anybody working with the artists that you work with in Nashville and on tours and all of the rest of it. And the artists that you put on tour here and how you put those two together, the relationships are very, very real. They are family. They are writing together in Nashville. They are writing together here in Canada when those tours come in. Um, it, they, they, they want to be working together. It's not, it, this, isn't, this isn't a uh, forced scenario. It's right. real. And so, I think that's evolved. Um, when I started in this business 20 years ago, for the most part, most of the tours coming out of Nashville were prepackaged. It was like, you've got your headliner. Uh, generally, they'd have a label mate opening that would be an American act. And they would sometimes select uh, a Canadian artists to go on the very, very front end, you know. Um, but now artists are coming up here as headliners and going, who can move the needle for us in Canada and deserves yeah. this opportunity and will be a compliment to the show overall. And you're right. There's, there's much more interfacing and there's much more of a, of a mutually reciprocal arrangement now when it comes to touring. And that just benefits our industry benefits their industry in terms of their reach in Canada. And, and it's a win-win across the board. Um, one of the reasons I started promoting uh, in the early days was because th those prepackaged tours were coming up here and I was able to purchase say 10 or 12 dates on a headline artist with the condition that we could at least work with their team on the opening artists on the support acts and that gave me a mechanism to grow a star system internally with my own company and uh, and it's nice to see that all these years later, that's just the way it is. And um, well, honestly, Jim, that's the, I, I was about to say that it's, it's the work, honestly, that you guys have all done. Like all of the agents that are actually in this side of the business that they are bringing tours in from the U S into Canada, there's not a ton of them, but those that are doing it, you at the top of that, the work that you guys have done, that is the reason that it's happening. It takes a long time, but it's there and it's real. Like it, it was such a no brainer for me when we got the call from old dominion. Like it was like, of course you're about to launch a Canadian tour with one of our biggest female artists. How amazing is this? Let, and they're like, so heavily invested in the market. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. it. Makes sense all the way around. Yeah. So as you, um, let's bounce back a little bit to, uh, to the broadcast this year, because I, I yeah. think you touched on some very important points, but a lot of award shows were canceling. Um, you must have, have had that, you know, broached that in your own mind at some point. And then at some point you're like, okay, we're just going to move ahead with this. We're going to figure it out. We're going to work together as a community. Um, at the end of the day, we talked a little bit offline about how this new version of the award show may actually represent an evolution into a new space. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about the advantages 
of a show that's pre-taped versus something that's live. Yeah. Can I just first tell you about how we landed on this version of the show so that it gives context yes. um, to, to that answer? So in March, when this happened, um, of course, um, you know, I was one of those people that was like, oh, what's happening? Oh, okay, well, of course, we're home for a couple of weeks and we'll be fine. Learned really quickly that that was not the case. We were about to go on sale with tickets in Hamilton. We realized that we obviously could not do that. First of all, Hamilton was closed. And second of all, we were like, what does this look like? For a very brief moment, um, the conversation happened uh, something like, should we push the show out? Why don't we look at dates in, uh, I think we started with, why don't we push it into November? Why don't we push it into December? Why don't we push it into January? And of course, we're very lucky because we have amazing, you know, agents and partners and friends at Live Nation who are basically feeding information into us to give us perspective on what they're hearing, what's happening in their business so that we understand what they're looking at and how they're pushing tours out and when they're rescheduling them. I mean, it was a little bit of a no one really knows, but this is what we're looking at. I will tell you that there wasn't a moment um, that we were like, we are canceling this show altogether. Our first jumping off point was pushing it out. When we realized that pushing it out, we weren't going to be in any better, in any better of a situation, given the fact that tours were now moving into the summer of 2021, and also the risk. There was such a massive risk. And, you know, like what the Genos had just gone through, you know, 24 hours before everyone's loading in and getting ready for rehearsals and the show was canceled. I realized that we could make that same mistake 10 months later. We just were not, it, and it would just sink the CCMAs. We would be done. You just, you, it's very difficult to recover from things like that. So we decided that we were going to do a show. We did not know what it looked like. And I have to be honest with you, it was a very, very difficult process in the beginning, for me included. Um, I executive produced the award show with Claire Adams. And so Claire and I had realized that we were going to basically have to, you know, men in black, our entire teams to erase what they knew, let them have a minute to mourn the fact that we are not doing a 14,000 people in an arena, live show, shiny floor, big sets, all of the things that we've grown to love and, and know to be, you know, what the CCMA award show is. We had to give everybody a minute to mourn the fact that we weren't doing that. And then we had to say to both of our teams, erase everything you know. We are building a show from the bottom up with no fans. And we are building this show out of two countries because we are not going to have our Canadian artists traveling. We didn't want anyone to have to travel from the US into Canada and vice versa. And we were not doing a show without, you know, as you know, we have so many Canadians living in Nashville now. We were not doing our show without them. And we need to figure out how we do this without us going into a city and selling 14,000 tickets. So we had to reduce our award show budget drastically over 50%. We dropped our award show budget by 50%. And we had to just build this thing from the bottoms up. And it was, it was so interesting because there were things that organically were intuitive to us that, you know, we got questioned on quite a bit, but in the end we were like, yes, this was the right decision. Some things weren't the right decision, but for the most part, I feel like the decisions that we intuitively thought when we, when we sort of started with the bottom up approach felt right. One of them was 
the, the, the levers that we pull within an award show to make sure that we're on time. It's a live show. We need a host who can stretch or who can shorten, or, you know, we need, um, we need to have, um, that host that can, you know, uh, make sure that they are the big marketing tool for the award show. We needed all, we knew immediately that if we were moving this show to two locations, one of them in a field and one of them on a rooftop in Nashville, that the only way, and again, back to our genre and us being family and the artists being so close to their fans, the only way for this show to make sense is if the artists themselves hosted it. Not one single artist, all of them. We needed to, we needed to figure out a way not to dwell in COVID, but for us to make sure that our, our that the artists were, 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 the translation from the artists was that we are in this together with you. We are going through the same things. Right. So we made some early decisions about, you know what? We are not going to, we're going to show behind the scenes. We're not going to show everyone standing there, you know, standing there in masks, but we're definitely going to show, you know, Brett putting his inner ears in and um, our, our director speaking to him with a mask on. We're going to show artists behind the scenes talking about, you know, what, what they're doing to get through COVID, but in a very positive silver lining as much as we can way. Yeah. You um, have to address the elephant in the room. So I think you did that very tactfully and tastefully. Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. It, it wasn't, um, it, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. You know, you got to remember an award show going live. It, one second it off, once it's off the air, it's done. So it's a crazy week leading in with rehearsals and making sure that everything's going to work. When you go live, it's a, it's a very, very intense experience, which of course, Jim, you completely understand, but it's like, you know, where you have to collapse scripts, you have to increase scripts while you're going live with, you know, last year we had Billy Ray Cyrus who would just go completely off script and, you know, we're behind the scenes making sure because you have a broadcast that's going, you're off the air at uh, 10.01. Yeah, him, him going off so script is part of his is part of his charm. Luckily, yeah. we had Dallas there to pull him back on the rails yeah. a few times. But uh, but you're right. If they go off script too much, that's that's the variable with a host. You could end up literally cutting a performance. Oh, it, it, it's, it's happened before. It, Dallas Smith saved our bacon last year. And he, you know, it's funny because when you ask an artist to be a, to be a host of a, an award show, it's because of who they are and their stature. What you don't, what they don't sign up for is someone looking them directly in the eye saying, you need to watch me off camera 24 seven. If he goes off script, you need to cut him off. Like that is not in the cards when you invite one of our artists to, to host an award show. Um, so yes, Dallas did an incredible job and, and, you know, I, I will share a personal bit of information about that award show. Um, Claire, my executive producer is in the truck for the live award shows. I am at a producer's table backstage. Her and I are connected on earphones, talking back and forth throughout the show as we're, you know, things need to be collapsed and all of these things that go on in a live show. And when we got off the air... Uh, with that show, I legitimately took my earphones off and set them down. And not because I was sad, happy. I, I don't, I, I think it was just sheer relief. When I stood up, my eyes just wept. I just wept and wept and wept. I couldn't stop weeping because I was so relieved that we got off the air on time. It was a new broadcast <laughs> partnership. I had no idea where this was going. Like it was just, anyway. So that's the live show. 
The difference between that and what we did this year, we shot this show over four days, two days here at um, Boots and Hearts, um, did an amazing partnership with them and used their beautiful property. And two days in Nashville, um, we have some great connections in Nashville just through all of our relationships. And uh, we hired a team there to shoot the performances there. Claire and I stayed in Canada. So we just had conversations as the days were going on in Nashville. But this was the part that was very difficult for us that you don't anticipate is that when the show's live, the show's live. Like I said, you collapse things, you pull things from the script, or you have your host talk long or whatever it is to get to time. What we had no purview on going into Burles Creek. So we shot in Burles Creek first. We shot two days there. 24 hours later, we shot two days in Nashville. What we couldn't, what we wouldn't have purview to until after we got out of Burles Creek was how long are the content bits going to be? We knew how long the performances were, but for us to time out a two hour show, what we needed to understand was, you know, for an example, Brett, if Brett, how long are Brett's you know, acceptance speech is going to be. We don't know that. It's, you know, we have a pretty good idea when the show's live, there's excitement, there's shock, there's, you know, a little bit of fumbling at the beginning of their speech. Like, I don't know what you think. And then they think, and then we count them off and they're off the air. Here, we had no purview to that. We didn't know until we came out of it, how long those bits would be and how much they would change given the fact that it's a very different experience than your name's called and there's 14,000 people versus me having a conversation with Brett and saying, congratulations, guess what? You are the winner of. When we got out of Burles Creek, Claire phoned me after she spent the night going through all of the content and said, we're seven minutes late. And Nashville's planned. And, you know, also remember we're doing all of this through, you know, COVID protocols. We're not allowing teams to to overlap on site, we are, right. you know, in Nashville, people are being, well, as they were in Burles Creek, we were, people were being tested, all of that stuff. It's not like we can be like, snap our fingers and, you know what, shoot 10 more minutes of content with Mackenzie Porter. It, it wasn't that easy. And also, it was such a great amount of time that we knew we were going to be short that, and we didn't want to give that back to the, we didn't want to hand that back to the broadcaster for commercials and nor did the broadcaster want that. So, we realized we we're going to be seven minutes short and we were, you know, the first thing that came to us was we have all the females there. Let's do an all female performance. Remember we're 24 hours before these, these, these artists are, you know, doing their, getting their, you know, wardrobe and all of the things ready for them to go and do this performance. And also no one had been performing. So there was anxiety about all of that for, from all the artists camps. It's like we have, there's excitement because we're doing this, but there's also, I'm going into a, an award show performance. I need to be prepared. So we decided that we would do this all-female performance. Um, Amy, who is our line producer on the award show, um, had the idea for them to do Lost, uh, Lost Together by Blue Rodeo, which we immediately loved. In fact, everyone on the call got immediately emotional as soon as she said it. So I basically just picked up the phone and called the girls and said, I know that you are already in your own version of prep, you know, preparation for this award show. And, um, but we, we have a great idea and we, we need you to help us here. And all of them said yes immediately. And Carolyn Don Johnson, as she does, just such an angel. I love her so much. She's amazing. 
she's amazing. She took the reins immediately because I'm not in Nashville. I can't set up rehearsal space for them. They can't really rehearse together because of COVID. So she took the song. They immediately started doing notes with each other. They got on a Zoom. They figured out each other's parts. And 24 hours later, those four females met at the rooftop in Nashville late after the day of shooting that had already happened got on that stage, had figured out their bits and pieces, and they did that performance, which arguably was the performance of the night. It was just so, the feedback that we've gotten on that performance, it was just so amazing. So, you know, there were a lot of... Um, and a, a lot great of blend of new artists and artists with some, some historical resonance. Like, you know, I think that's one of the things that made it so magical for the fans too. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's 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 a different you know, it's a different beast when you're putting an award show into an edit suite versus it going live and it is what it is. Um, you, you know, we had the ability to tweak things that we normally don't have the ability to do, color correct things, make sure that we have exactly the right shots. Um, you know, we made some big bold decisions going into this. Normally when you're shooting a show of this size, you use a field production team we used our live team we wanted the show to feel live we weren't trying to um you know pull the wool over anybody's eyes that the show was live but we definitely wanted the fans to feel like it was live so we shot the show with our live team um so that it felt like it was live and that really worked like we think it worked really well um but you know it's funny because a week before uh, the show was going to air all the final, you know, color corrections and tweaks and broadcaster had signed off on their pieces and all of the things. And Claire sent me a note and she said, okay, I'm sending the final link over to the broadcaster. Are you good? Like forever hold your piece here. Cause you know, we've been living it for, I mean, that was the other piece. It's that a show of this size that you're going to tape and not go live normally is in an edit suite from you know 10 to 12 weeks we had to do it in four so we literally had editors working 24 hours a day like they would tag team out with each other um so we had been living and breathing this show for from the moment we started shooting it so when she sent me that note and said listen are you ready to send this over i i i just was like are they going to think our baby is pretty i don't like I, I had kind of lost perspective because we had just been so close to it so the night that the award show aired, there was, you know, I was, I was anxious, you know, it's, it's, you want to do the community proud and you want to make sure that um, you are um, putting forward, regardless of the fact that we're in the middle of a pandemic, um, a level of production and showcasing the artists in the most beautiful way you possibly can. Um, and I feel, I feel confident that we, we, we achieved that and um, the feedback has been phenomenal. So to long answer to your question, which is, does that mean that things are changing going forward? I think that they might. I think that there was, it was probably, you know, we've been evolving the show for the last couple of years. Um, but did the there ratings, are- Did the ratings pair out well? Yeah, so ratings for us, our big fat two plus number was down. Um, which I'm learning, I've learned from the broadcaster that the challenge, of course, the challenge with that is that with LA shutting down, normally when we roll into September with our award show, we're in the middle of their big fall launch. They already have a lot of people tuning into the network because their big shows are premiering and all of that. So we get, we get the extra lift from all of the eyeballs that are currently on the broadcaster. 
because all launch for all broadcasters this year is pushed out to October and November because LA shut down and there's not shows, shows stopped production. We were in this weird position of, you know, viewing habits uh, have changed over since the pandemic, you know, people are viewing television very differently. So um, our big fat two plus number was down, but our demo number was up over last year. And when I say our demo number, there's a, you know, there's, of course, as an association, we want the biggest reach we possibly can have. For us, that is with broadcast, it's with what we're doing on social, we want that big fat reach number, which we achieved our reach number this year. From the broadcast perspective, the two plus, which is anyone older than two years old, that's the big fat number. But the demo that the broadcaster focuses on and the demo that our, our brands that you know partner with us focus on is 18 to 49 and 25, 54. And for us, that demo was up over last year. So we are very, very happy um, with that news because we could have been in a very different situation. You know, television is just so different right now because of the pandemic. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy that we were able to achieve that. And, um, uh, you know, from a reach perspective, this was the other thing that was interesting. All of our artists that performed on the award show, of course, because it wasn't live, they were at home. So we were able to lob content up to the artists for them in real time to be pushing it out. And as you know, during the live show, everyone that's attached to any team is not focused on making sure that artist content is posted on their socials because they're in press rooms or they're getting right. ready to be presenting an award, whatever it is. Because everybody was home, we got this extra big push, which is one of the things that we'll focus on next year, regardless of whether we're live or not, whether it's that we're assigning, you know, teams to or assigning humans to each team to make sure that content's getting out. It really gave us this ripple effect that we have not been able to achieve in the past because everybody's just so busy. We get a big push the next day when everybody's home um, and, you know, the awards are over and all of the rest of it. But that was a really big win for us and something that we will definitely carry forward. Um, yeah, lots of, uh, lots of, it was just a lot. It's lots of lessons learned and lots of cool things that we think that we can pull forward. So back to, yeah, sorry, back to, um, uh, you know, what, what we'll bring forward next year. I mean, listen, we might have to bring forward the exact same model next year. We don't know yet. Right. Um, our commitment to London. So we're going into London, Ontario for 2021 and our commitment to, um, London is that we are going to run plan A and plan A.2 and we are going to simultaneously run those plans beside each other until we can make a decision in the spring on which plan we have to do. What I'm very um, comfortable with, um, which I can't actually believe I'm saying this, is the fact that we now have a leg up. We know how to do this. We know how to um, pivot and 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 build an award show that doesn't necessarily have to be live but has those same elements and the things that we're known for which is heartfelt and um surprise performances and all of that stuff we can do that we've done it and we absolutely can do it or are we going to be able to gather in larger groups and we're going to do a, an arena show is that arena show going to be the same next year based on what we did this year maybe not we may have more you know pre-taped things we may do performances from landmark, you know, sort of locations in London, doing a better job of showcasing the city of London 
the way we did Boots and Hearts uh, on, on the show here. Maybe that's how we can drive more economic impact. We don't traditionally talk about what city we're in because we're a national association. It comes off the top from, you know, the host, you know, here we are live in Calgary, but that's really it in the, in the award show. I don't think anyone was offended by the fact that we were, you know, talking about being in at Burles Creek in Ontario and in Nashville, and it did a good job of showcasing both locations. So, you know, we've, we've got some work ahead of us, but, you know, it's, it's exciting work, and we do feel relief and a bit more confidence than I think others do because we've, we've done it, and, um, and we, we did it fairly, fairly well. I mean, again, got lots of lessons learned and things we wouldn't do again, but we're pretty proud of it. Yeah, forced innovation is not necessarily a bad thing. And congratulations on navigating all of the variables, surmounting all the challenges, and delivering an amazing show. Uh, very well done. And thanks again for all your time today, Tracy. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. Oh, anytime, Jim. I'm so glad that you reached out. I'm sorry we couldn't do this earlier, but I think this was the right time for us to do it. Decompression time. It's the right yeah. time. Love yes, to have yeah. you back on again. And uh, good luck with, with everything today. Thank you.